Good morning, everybody. We are glad you're here on this cold morning to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. And as you can see, it's going to be a special day, but we're going to lead off and uh, sing together. So if you would stand, we're going to sing O Holy Night, along with a variation that we've thrown in there, which we like to do. <laughs>
Hallelujah is a great way to start a service, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Jesus has come. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. We're so glad each and every one of you are here today. We are celebrating the coming of Christ and His birth uh, during this season of Advent. Advent means the coming. Jesus has come, and we believe He is coming again. Amen? He came and He was born to die. John 3.16 from the New Living Translation says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. His first coming was about His living a perfect life in our place, going to the cross, and there dying for our sins, on the third day being raised again, so that now we anticipate His second coming, when He'll come again to take us home to glory. Amen? Amen. What a hope we have. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you for the privilege of worship today. Thank you for your love so freely and richly given to us through the gift that is almost unfathomable, the, the, the very life of your own Son. May we marvel at the incarnation. May we marvel at the sinlessness of our Savior. May we marvel at His love and sacrifice on the cross. And above all, may we marvel in Your living presence today as the resurrected King. Father, we thank You for our children. Thank You for how You're about to use them to remind us of Your love in Jesus. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as our animals are coming on the stage, everybody welcome to East LJ's Children's Department's production of Home by Another Way. And I, we hope that you enjoy this play and that it reminds you of the real reason for the season. That is, Christ the Lord came to dwell among sinners in the flesh, lived a perfect life, and he died for you and I, but rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Y'all pray for our kids as we get started this morning. <clears throat> Bethlehem was such a small little town. As a matter of fact, people just passed right through there on their way to somewhere else. There weren't any special temples there, no VIP residents, just some shepherds and a handful of sheep. In spite of its smallness, Bethlehem was still the city of kings. This was where King David had been born. It was prophesied that this was where the Messiah would be born as well. 
but no one knew when he would arrive. They were desperately awaiting his arrival. Little did they know, God was about to draw the attention of the whole world to this little town of Bethlehem. And even the stars up above would shine down on what God was about to do. As a matter of fact, I think I see that star now. It just so happens that Mary and Joseph were on their way, and God had already been at work in their hearts. Mary was with child, the Christ child, the promised Messiah, the Son of God. And this is where our story begins. As Mary and Joseph entered Bethlehem that night, they came to a small hotel and knocked on the door. Sadly, the innkeeper said there was no more room in the inn. They had to look for somewhere else to spend the night. Thankfully, they were happy to find a little barn just down the hill filled with friendly animals. They could hear the animals mooing and braying off in the distance. Mary and Joseph were settled in. They had found a place to stay. It was here in this place that Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus. In this precious moment of God taking on flesh and being born to the Virgin Mary, the world was changed forever. While everyone in the town was asleep, the Messiah had come to save them. But that's not where our story ends. Things were just getting started. Not too far away, a group of shepherds, oh look, here they come, were watching their flocks by night. Some of them were even nearly asleep. Some of them were just happy to be there. They had no idea that just over the way, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had been born to the Virgin Mary, just as it was prophesied. And then, out of nowhere, just as they were about to fall asleep, an angel descended from the sky, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were very afraid. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel went on to say that they would find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly, more angels appeared. The sky was full of the angelic host, and they together proclaimed, After hearing this proclamation, the shepherds came over and worshiped the baby Jesus, and our kids sang Silent Night.
After Jesus was born, the star of Bethlehem continued to shine and shine and shine. As a matter of fact, it took legs and started to walk around. A group of wise men followed that star all the way from the east, and they had come to worship the baby Jesus. They traveled very far to see the Christ child, and they had brought him three precious treasures. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they were met with King Herod, who was a wicked and evil king and did not want Jesus to be born. King Herod tried to trick those wise men into bringing Jesus to him so that he could worship him. But he really wanted to kill Jesus. So the wise men continued to follow the star that had magically taken legs, and they eventually found the baby. Once the wise men found Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him with all of their might, and they presented him with their gifts. The first gift was gold, which represented that Jesus is our king. The second gift was frankincense, which symbolized that Jesus was our high priest. The third gift was myrrh, which pointed towards the fact that Jesus was born to die for our sins on the cross. After presenting the child with its gift, they arose and went on their way and left their gifts with Jesus to find a place to sleep for the night. Once they were good and asleep, they were warned in a dream, do not return to King Herod or reveal where Jesus is. And so the scriptures say that they awoke from their sleep and that they returned to their own country, but they didn't go home the same way. They took a different direction. Just like everyone else who came into contact with Jesus that night, they couldn't leave the same way. They had to go home in a different direction. This Christmas season, we too can resolve to come and see this Christ child and go home another way. Changed, rescued, loved, and forgiven. Behold, this child was born to die and take away the sins of the world. And if anyone is in him, they are a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things are become new. This Savior is alive and beckons us to come and adore him and be changed by his life-giving mercy and grace. After hearing such a message of hope, will you leave the same way? Or will you be like the wise men and go home in a different direction? Truly, his coming has brought great joy to the world.
Amen. Didn't these kids do a great job this morning? We're proud of them and all their hard work. We want to say a big thank you to all of the parents that were involved in this. And, and I'm not going to try to name them out right now, but, but we've got a lot involved. And they're behind the scenes. One of them's hiding back here even. And uh, the parents helped us, and, and we're appreciative of them. And these kids have really put in a lot of hard work. We're so proud of them. And we hope that this production, this play, has touched your heart and, most importantly, lifted your eyes towards the one that truly matters. That's Jesus Christ right here. Amen. And so uh, what we want to do is at this time, Miss Julie, get them to do their bow and... and uh, Two, three. All right. And if you're wondering why King Herod's beard looks just like Pastor Trey's, it's because I drew it on there, buddy. I sure did. One more round of applause for the kids, and then we'll turn it back over to y'all. Amen. We want to give a special thank you also to uh, Miss Juliana, uh, who did all the music there, helped with all the singing, did a great job getting the kids participating there. And also Pastor Trey. Uh, Pastor Trey actually kind of wrote up the script for the play to, today, and so we appreciate them and, again, all those parents. Uh, just show your appreciation and love for Pastor Trey and Juliana this morning. Thank you. Great job, guys. Wonderful. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for the familiar but ever amazing story of Christmas. Lord, the way that you chose to come to us, to pursue us, to reveal yourself to us that you might save us never ceases to amaze our hearts. Truly, it is amazing grace. It is amazing love. And we praise you. Father, I thank you that Christmas didn't just happen out of nowhere, out of the blue, all of a sudden, but Lord, you planned exactly how you would save us, even from eternity past. But God, you prophesied about it, and you made provision for it. You worked in history through centuries until the fullness of time had come. And Jesus was born of a woman. We praise you, Father, for this opportunity to celebrate your coming. We look forward to your return, Lord Jesus. And I pray that today your love in and through the work of Jesus Christ might be known in this place. I pray, Lord, for any in the room who've yet to trust Jesus as Savior that today would be the day of salvation. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Open our hearts to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We've been working our way this Advent season through one of the Old Testament stories behind the Christmas story. We all know the Christmas story. We've just seen it so beautifully portrayed for us. But we've been working our way through one of the Old Testament stories behind the Christmas story as we find it in the book of Ruth. This morning, we're going to finish Ruth's story, and we're going to see how it ties directly to the Christmas story. The title of this series, been, the series that we've been working through is, "'Twas a thousand years before Christmas." About a thousand years before the birth of Christ, we find the story of Ruth. Last week in chapter 3, we saw Ruth uh, there making a marriage proposal, kind of a backward situation for the day. But we, we saw Mar- Ruth's marriage proposal to Boaz, and, and she basically says to Boaz there on the threshing floor, please be God's provision of a kinsman redeemer for me and Naomi's family tree. Please marry me, Boaz, and be that kinsman redeemer. That's where we left off last week, and we saw that Boaz was a ready, able, and willing kinsman redeemer. But the chapter ended with a plot twist, didn't it? There was a closer relative who had the first right of refusal, if you will, on, the, on both the family property and on Ruth herself to take her as his wife. And Boaz knew that, and we left Ruth and Naomi waiting to see what would happen the next day when Boaz went to talk to this closer kinsman. We pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. We've seen this phrase several times in the, in the book of Ruth, haven't we? And behold, something happened. This is just another one of those cases in the book, in the story, where you could, you could, you could almost say, it just so happened that the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. It just so happened We see that phrase again and again through the book where God is shown to be clearly working in His sovereignty in Naomi and Ruth's story to provide for both their physical survival and the continuation of the family tree. Those are the two big needs in the book of Ruth. Food and family. So the text continues, So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Boaz speaking, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me. That I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now at this point we're thinking, oh no. Boaz and Ruth's love story. We've been following it for several weeks now. It's over. Because Mr. No-Name Redeemer has said he's going to redeem 
the property of Elimelech. He's going to swoop in and he's going to ruin the whole drama of this love story. But you see, Boaz is a clever man. And he's purposefully left out one very important detail in this redemption deal of Elimelech's estate that he goes ahead now in verse 5 and tacks on. Then Boaz said, okay, great. You said you'll redeem the property. But there's something you need to know. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That was pretty slick, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, Mr. No-Name Redeemer. You're in on the land. I mean, they're not making any more of it, right? Any chance you get to buy dirt, you buy dirt, right? But I forgot to tell you one little thing. If you redeem the land, you also have to marry Ruth, the Moabitess. Remember, the Israelites hated the Moabites. And you get to care for the rest of her earthly life for her elderly mother-in-law, Naomi, by the way, who prefers to be called Mara these days because she's kind of bitter. Plus, it becomes your responsibility to give Elimelech and Malon an heir by having at least one child with Ruth. Now, of course, the implication of that is that this child, or children, depending on how many you and Ruth have, they become your heirs, and your estate and any inheritance you leave will have to then be split with Ruth's child or children, along with the ones that you already have at home. I'm so glad you're willing to make this deal, Mr. No-Name Redeemer. But then the Redeemer said, verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself. Lest I impair my own inheritance, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. It's almost as if he looks at Boaz and says, oh, well, that changes things. And, and just so you know, I, have, I prayed about it, and I'm out. You take the land and the Moabitess and her bitter mother-in-law. They're all yours. Verse 7, we won't get into any ex detailed explanation. We'll just start, keep reading. Uh, tells us about a custom that would happen and that happened here. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetu perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. In other words, what the elders were there saying is, is May the Lord make Ruth fruitful, as fruitful as Rachel and Leah. And may you have a lot of children. 
They go on and say in verse 12, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, in short, it's as if they're saying, May the Lord take this foreign woman, this Moabitess, and graft her into the line of Judah and use her to perpetuate the family tree, just like he did the Canaanite woman Tamar by whom Perez was born and the line of Judah was continued. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now that's an amazing verse because we have been, this is our fourth Sunday in the book of Ruth. He, the author of Ruth has taken three and a half chapters to tell the story of Naomi and Ruth in great detail. And all of a sudden, in verse 13 of chapter 4, in one verse, Boaz marries Ruth, she becomes pregnant, and has a child all in one verse. (laughs) I mean, they just took like a year's worth, at least nine months, and crammed it all into one verse. By the way, this is where the whole story's been going. This is the point of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. It's very interesting in the book of Ruth. We've we've, we've seen it once before, and now the only other time. Only twice in the book of Ruth does the narrator, does the author tell us something the Lord does. Now, there's prayers. Boaz prays for the Lord to do certain things, right? Remember how he prayed for Ruth, that that, that the Lord would bless her and reward her. But there's two times that the author of Ruth tells us what the Lord did. The first one we find back in Ruth 1 verse 6. There it says, Then Naomi heard in Moab, while still in Moab, she heard that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. The Lord met Naomi's and Ruth's need for food. They heard that the Lord had given bread in the house of bread back in Bethlehem. But now here in Ruth 4.13, he meets the need for family. In Ruth 4.13, it says, the Lord gave her conception. The Lord gave food, and the Lord gave conception. The Lord provided family. Don't miss that. The Lord is the only one who can provide for our deepest needs. And it's very interesting to notice. Remember, she was married, Ruth was married to Malon before, right? We just read that. For several years, we know Naomi and and, and, and her, Naomi was in in Moab for 10 years. We're not sure how long Ruth and, and Malon were married, but we know they were married for several years at least, and she never became pregnant. But now, the text says, the Lord gave her conception, and she gives birth to a son. Verse 14, the story continues, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you, speaking of this newborn baby boy, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, Ruth the Moabitess, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
The women had been watching Ruth. Ruth had been nothing but a virtuous woman. She'd been nothing but a loving and committed daughter-in-law to Naomi. And as we know from the rest of the story earlier, and she didn't have to be. She could have stayed in Moab. Then Naomi took the child, verse 16, and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Now, Ruth had the baby. We're all clear on that, right? But in Ruth, Ruth's having the baby, Naomi's husband's line was continued. And Naomi's life was changed thereby. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is the whole point of the book of Ruth. It was a thousand years before Christmas. And a thousand years before Christmas, before Jesus was born, what the book of Ruth shows us is that God was working in the history of one widow's despair. One normal widow in the middle of her despair to establish the family tree through which he would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The book ends with the repetition and extension of that genealogy that we just read. In verses 21 and 22, we won't read 19 and 20 there, but in verse 21 it says, Salmon fathered Boaz, one of the main characters of the book. Boaz fathered Obed. And then the author lets us know the generations that followed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered who? David. This genealogy, as given there in Ruth 4, 21 and 22, is seen again in Matthew chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen for you. But in Matthew chapter 1, right in the middle of the genealogy, anybody know whose genealogy is in Matthew chapter 1? Say it loud where I can hear. I don't have my hearing aids in. Jesus. How about that? Right in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus, this genealogy appears again as part of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Notice in, this ver in these two verses, the, the mothers are mentioned. Not often does that happen in genealogies, but it does here. And it's very significant in this verse. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Everybody remember who Rahab was? She was the town prostitute in Jericho. She was a foreign woman, and yet God uses a foreign prostitute to, to, to perpetuate the line that would eventually lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. That's how our God works in a world of sinners to save and redeem and give grace. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, you know, the Moabitess, the one from the hated country, just on the other side of the Dead Sea, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. If you continue reading in Matthew 1, which we're not going to do, what you find between verses 7 and 16 is the genealogy continuing for 25 more generations. And then in verse 16, we get to Jesus. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. What an amazing story. Isn't it a beautiful story? The, the story of Ruth and how it dovetails in. The story behind the Christmas story dovetails right into the birth of Christ. A thousand years before Christmas, God was working in the history of one widow's despair to establish the family tree through which he would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Do you all understand? Do you get it? 
if the whole Boaz and Ruth thing hadn't happened, the line would have ended. And yet, here's what you can know. God is sovereignly working all the time to do exactly what he said he would do. And God, even back in Genesis 3, said one day, the seed of man, seed of woman, will crush the head of Satan. That spoke of Jesus. And all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament, God is at work unfolding and putting together, unfolding his plan, putting together the pieces of his plan so that in the fullness of time, on just the right day, at just the right place, at just the right time, Jesus would be born. And Jesus would grow to become the final kinsman redeemer, the ultimate kinsman redeemer for the eternal people of God. Now, here's what we know about this whole idea of a kinsman redeemer. This role that Boaz, we saw in Ruth's story, fulfill. In order to be a redeemer in ancient Israel, three things had to be true. Number one, a kinsman redeemer had to be related to the one being redeemed. Thus, the word kinsman, right? Y'all are sharp. Y'all were ahead of me on that, weren't you? And just as Boaz was related to Elimelech, Naomi's husband... Through the incarnation, Jesus is related to me and to you. When Jesus took on flesh, when he was born in a stable somewhere and laid in a manger, he became one of us. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that as our true substitute through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A kinsman redeemer has to be related to the one that he would redeem. Jesus became one of us that he might die as our true substitute and redeem us. And further, go on to be a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Kinsman Redeemer had to be related to those he would redeem. Jesus became one of us that he might truly be our substitute and die in our place and redeem us. Secondly, though, the Kinsman Redeemer had to be able to redeem, had to be able, had to have the ability to redeem. In Boaz's case, that meant that he had to have the, the means financially to physically redeem Ruth and Naomi and, and, and the family estate, the land, and he did. Jesus, in the same way, had to qualify and be able to spiritually redeem his people. That is, all who will ever trust him as Savior and follow him as Lord, and he did. He was indeed qualified. He is indeed able. It's 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20 says, Knowing that you were ransomed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, 
How has Jesus ransomed us, redeemed us? But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Jesus was qualified. He was the only sinless human being to ever live. Tempted in all ways as we have been, but never did he sin. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He was like us in that he shared flesh and blood. He was the perfect God and, and, and the perfect God-man. God in the flesh. And that's what made his blood precious. His death on the cross precious. as He's the only one qualified and able to redeem a world of sinners from their sin. We've been redeemed, if we know him today, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, Jesus paid it all, didn't he? Jesus alone was qualified and able to fully and forever atone for the sins of the world because he alone was the spotless lamb of God, God in the flesh, sinless and perfect, the only fit sacrifice, the only able substitute. This is our Redeemer. But thirdly, the kinsman Redeemer had to be willing to redeem. You remember Mr. No Name. Isn't that interesting, by the way? I mean, Boaz knew this relative's name. But because of his unwillingness to fulfill the duty that the Old Testament would have put on him as the next of kin, the author of the book of Ruth I believe, just thought, this guy doesn't deserve to have his name in the story. And after all, he didn't do anything but say no, right? And so, Mr. No-Name Redeemer was unwilling to redeem Elimelech's estate and family tree. But Boaz, a righteous man, was willing. The kinsman Redeemer had to be willing to redeem. Jesus was not forced to be our Redeemer. Jesus willingly gave His own life on the cross of Calvary as the redemption price to save us from our sins. You say, well, the Romans crucified Him. The Jews gave Him up to the Romans. There's a whole lot of people involved in Jesus' death. Yes, but it says, Jesus said in John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, which he did. This charge I have received from my Father. Yes, the Jews were guilty of initiating the greatest injustice in the history of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus. Yes, the Romans, Pilate and all of his cronies, they were guilty of executing the crucifixion of Jesus, the greatest injustice in all of human history. And yet they didn't do a thing but what Jesus allowed them to do because in it all, in a way we don't fully comprehend, Jesus laid down 
his life. You've heard the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus said, listen, if I, if, if, if I wanted to skip the cross, I could have obliterated the whole bunch with the word. I could have called a legion of angels to come and rescue me, but I gave my life. Doesn't that reality underscore for you and in your heart today the preciousness of Jesus' love for you? Nobody forced him to redeem us. He laid down his life. Our redemption came at an unimaginable cost to our Lord. Not only was he related to us in the incarnation, but he was also qualified as the spotless lamb. Not only was he qualified, but he was also willing to redeem. And redeem, he did. As Zacharias prophesied about Jesus in Luke's account of the Christmas story, in Luke 1, verse 68, Zechariah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's visited his people. He's become one of us in the incarnation. And in the past tense, Zechariah said, and he's redeemed his people. You know why? Because just as sure as it was that Jesus was, had been born, would be born, just as sure as that was, so it was sure he would die on the cross in our place. Because the same God that put all the pieces of history together, all the way back to Ruth's story and even further back than that, to make it happen so that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ would be born of a woman. The same God was putting all of the events of history of Jesus' life together so that on that day, on that Friday, he would hang on the cross for you and for me. Man, what a story. What a reality. Galatians 3.13 puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus paid the redemption price, and the price for your redemption and mine was death. Holy God can only punish sin. He can't tolerate it. He can't just let it go. It must be punished. Your sin has to be punished. And on the cross, Jesus bore all of the wrath of God, of holy God, against your sin and rebellion. He, he punished all of that. He poured out all of his wrath on Jesus, and Jesus took God's wrath for your sin. And by the payment of that price, for all who will trust him, we have been redeemed. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, He, speaking of Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. There's a lot of redeeming happening that day. There's still redeeming that happens today. People got bought out of slavery. There were these Ruth and Boaz situations where land was redeemed. Uh, the, the, the lineage of, of, of Elimelech was redeemed in, in, in the whole Ruth and Boaz deal. But here's, here's what I can tell you about that. That redemption was over when people died, wasn't it? Right? That makes sense? Oh, sure, there was lasting effects. But understand this. You and I, by means of Jesus' own blood, offered once and for all in the heavenly holy of holies, we have, we have been 
eternally redeemed. Jesus secured for us an eternal redemption. You and I will never not be children of the living God if you know him today, if you've trusted him today. Because you have been, not just for the rest of your life, redeemed. Not just for a few weeks. Not just for the first thousand years of eternity. You've been eternally redeemed by the payment of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the host of heaven continually sing praise to Jesus They praise Jesus, the Lamb of God. As we hear over in Revelation 5, verse 9, it says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you. That's a way of saying, Jesus, you're the final and the only kinsman redeemer. The only one fully qualified, able and willing to redeem a world of sinners. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so here is the question for you this morning. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as Savior, here's the question for you. Will you believe God's word that the baby born in Bethlehem was the only able redeemer to live a perfect life in your place, to go to the cross and there pay the redemption price for all of your sins, and to rise from the dead on the third day, proving that the work of salvation truly is finished for you? Will you believe God about that today? A thousand years before Christmas... God was working in the history of one widow's despair to establish the family tree through which he would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is one of the stories in the Old Testament behind the Christmas story. And today, right now, in this moment, you can enter into this story. It's a story that continues until Jesus comes again in the eternal redemption of all who will trust In Jesus, you can enter into that story today. Will you trust Jesus as your kinsman redeemer right now? I promise you this, if you will. If you'll call on the name of the Lord. If you'll trust what God says about who Jesus is and what he's done. And his life, death, and resurrection for you. Then here's what I can promise you. Pastor Trey... If someone will do that today, they will go home changed today. They'll go home eternally different than the way you came today. Will you do it today? Will you trust him this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how you were working a thousand years before Christmas that Christmas might happen and in the coming of Christ, we would have a Redeemer. I pray right now, Father, that in hearts all across this room, in the hearts of any in this room who've yet to personally trust you, that right now you would help them to believe what you say. That they would believe that Jesus is an able and willing and fully qualified kinsman redeemer. that you would help them to believe, that they would turn from sin and turn to the Savior, that they would believe that 
The only hope before a holy God is what Jesus did in living a perfect life of obedience for us in our place that all of his righteousness might be credited to us, then going to the cross to die the death we deserve, to bear the wrath of God in our place instead of us. And having been buried for three days, on that third day he rose again for us to give us victory, and not only over sin's penalty, but also day by day now over sin's power in our lives and to give us the certainty of resurrection and eternity living in the presence of Christ himself. Lord, I pray that you would grant repentance and faith unto salvation in the hearts of many in this room today, even as we sing. Thank you for the story of Ruth and the beauty of it, all that we've learned about you. We marvel at your sovereign grace worked over centuries and millennia to give us a Savior a Redeemer, who is Christ the Lord. And we pray all these things this morning in His precious name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship as we close our time in song. This altar is open for you to come and pray however you may need to seek the face of the Lord this morning. Doors of our church are open to receive members any way we can. But more than anything, if you need a Redeemer today, I'll be right here at the front. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and let Him be your Redeemer the giver of eternal redemption and salvation to you. Won't you come as we sing? Oh, baby.